thing too I tell people is, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're a narcissist or not. If you're uncomfortable in this situation and it doesn't feel good to you, then that's something to pay attention to. Mm. You don't, it's almost like, I think sometimes people feel that they have to know with a hundred percent certainty if the person they're dealing with is a narcissist, because if they're not, then they're going to just continue what they're doing and they should have to deal with it. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas if it's like they're a narcissist, okay, now I have permission to set boundaries. Now you don't need that. You feel uncomfortable. You set whatever boundaries you want. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey there. Thank you for clicking play and joining me for another episode here on the podcast. We are having so many fantastic conversations in season five. If you are just joining me, we are here building healthy, meaningful relationships, not only with those we love, but also with ourselves. And today's episode really taps into removing the blame we experience, the shame we also put on ourselves when we get stuck into difficult relationships, particularly those where we get stuck in and for people who are narcissistic. Today, I am joined by Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and nationally renowned expert in narcissistic abuse. She is a highly sought after relationship coach for those experiencing narcissistic abuse, as well as the sole owner and founder of the Z Group, a private therapy practice specializing in anxiety, depression, and complex relationship dynamics. Her first workbook titled Find Your Calm, a workbook to manage anxiety, garnered great success prompting her to pen a second one titled Find Good Habits, a workbook for daily growth. I have both of them on my shelf. I highly recommend them. She is an accomplished and active media contributor, as well as an influential social media personality in the mental health space. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I just want to remind you of my resources that are available to you. You can find them at drtracyd.com. My favorite go-to is my webinar, which is going to help you learn how to repair after a disagreement with your partner. That's drtracyd.com forward slash repair. I have so many important tips and skills and tools inside this free webinar for you. All right, let's go into today's conversation. Dr. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I am so thrilled to finally have the chance to get to sit with you and deep dive into all things relationships, showing up authentically, really looking after ourselves and even talking about some of the narcissism that we can see in other people. So thank you for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. 
And before we jumped on, we were both saying just how we've been connected and you have released two fantastic books, Find Your Calm and Find Good Habits. They are available where you get your books and they are such important pieces because they really are these guides for us to help us make real behavioral, meaningful changes. They sit on my shelf and I absolutely love them. Just to start so far, listeners, do check them out. I'm going to put the links below so that everyone can can grab them. But I'd love to hear from you who you are and also how you started to talk more about the narcissistic abuse that shows up in relationships. Sure. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist based out uh, right outside Philadelphia. I have a private practice where I see adults, depression, anxiety. But I personally specialize in uh, working with not just people who are in romantic or, you know, have significant others who have narcissistic personality disorder, but also children, adult children of parents who have narcissistic personality disorder, friends, coworkers, and just kind of work with them on identifying these patterns and navigating them, how to manage them, how to get out of them. And then also, which, you know, we don't really think about how to manage it once you're also out of the relationship, because Mm -hmm. oftentimes in those situations, it doesn't exactly end afterwards. Um, So that's what I do. um, In addition to three kids and (laughs) running around with my, you know, hands flailing. Yeah, right. You, you, you have a full load of full load. all the things in your books and doing all of the great work you're doing in our media Thank and you. being the voice behind this. Because I think even what you say there is so important is that we often think that once we end a relationship um, or we renegotiate our boundaries or the terms within a relationship with someone mm-hmm. who is narcissistic, then you know, there's still this fallout. You know, I can think of many people that I've worked with where we're really working to find the self again, to Mm -hmm. find solid footing and to redefine behaviors, to re-examine our beliefs because it has been so impactful for us. Yeah, it really, I love that you say that about developing this sense of self. So I think, listen, all relationships are hard, right? All breakups are hard, even if you're the one doing the breaking up. I always like to say that relationships and and breakups, they change us, right? We learn something Mm. from them and we can't subtract it from our life, right? We have to move forward with it. Even if it was good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We have to move forward. So you have a lot of people who after breakups, healthy relationships that ended, um, Mm. you know, one of the goals, and I'm sure you hear this all the time is I just, I need to get over them. I need to get over them. And I always like to say, we need to carry them through. Because uh, it's 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 hard and it changes you. And so when you're dealing with narcissistic abuse in relationships, one of the things that happens, and it happens so so slowly that you don't realize it's happening. I always say it's like a leaky faucet, and it just drips and it drips, and then you realize years later you're standing in the middle of you know a flood, right? And you don't know how you got there, and then you're mad at yourself for not recognizing it sooner. And there's this guilt and shame. You don't want to tell anybody that your house is flooded because they would have said, "Why didn't you do something earlier?" So the sense of self that we have in relationships, right? It kind of defines who we are. It defines our behaviors, um, and it really shapes our world. When you're in those types of relationships, the sole focus of a narcissist in those relationships is to really gain control and power over you. And one of the ways they do that is by slowly stripping you of your sense of self. And when you're in a relationship with somebody 
for years, let's say. And that's not to say that even months doesn't do damage because it does, but let's just say for years. And I always use this example of my friend because she gave me full permission to use it. So I always use this, but she was with somebody for 20 plus years. And when she got out of this relationship, she had absolutely no idea who she was anymore. And I see this with my patients all the time. You would think doing this all the time, I would kind of get used to this, but it's one of the most jarring things about this is that a lot of times they won't even be able to identify what foods they like, what's their favorite color, how do they like to dress, what's their taste in music. My friend had said to me, she said, I don't even know what side of the bed I'm supposed to sleep on anymore. And it's like these little decisions we take for granted but they strip you of this identity on purpose so they can implement you know, their beliefs onto you. But when they get out, the scariest thing is that you have, like you said, no footing. And if you've been with them since you were 18, 19 years old, your sense of self really wasn't even established then. So you have to start from scratch. And yeah. it's important that you, know, you realize that this relationship changed you. It was traumatic. And you're starting, unfortunately, with that having already happened. And you have to start with that in mind. Um, and I think sometimes that takes that heaviness off of trying to get past it or get over it because I just don't think that's possible and not in a bad way. I think it, it drops that struggle. Yeah, right. That kind of struggle that we show up to wanting to get out of this painful growth experience of, yeah. of learning who we are and where we want to go. One of the most common things I hear from people is, how do I deal with this feeling of I should have known, I should have seen it, and this mm -hmm. really intense self-blame? And what you said right there is to first acknowledge that this wasn't this tidal wave that came over you. It was slow, insidious, the drips from the faucet that are building. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is for us to understand how could we have known? Mm -hmm. How could we have seen something yeah. different early on? Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. 
For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. I always tell people that, you know, especially in those relationships, that there is no way they could have known. There's no way. And even people that do this for a living, like you and I, right? If we're in the beginning stages of a relationship and we see that love bombing, our antenna is going to go up. We're going to be aware of it. But at the same time, it feels so good. Mm. And so it's really difficult, even with all the information in the world, it's still really difficult. And so not having had that information, there is no way, there really isn't any way that, that people would have known any different. And I look at the information I give out almost as like preventative medicine in a way that it's like stopping it before people do it to notice the patterns early on because once you're in it it's so hard Mm. um but I think that that blame that self-blame I think is two parts one it's easy to say I should have could have would have right and we always say those are kind of like the curse words of therapy at the same time you were taught that you're always wrong you were taught over time to never trust your judgment and your perception. So why on earth would you ever have trusted any doubt that you had in the relationship? You wouldn't have. You would have thought you were wrong. Mm. I think that's really true for whether it's a romantic relationship or whether it's someone in your family. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a parent, a sibling, or a long-term friend even, right? That yes. if there are these patterns from that person or if that was an experience in your family already, then that led you to continue that experience of not trusting yourself. That's right. And I know so many people listening will be able to relate to that experience of, oh, growing up, I really wasn't taught to listen to myself. Mm -hmm. I received those messages of stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about or, you know, no sense crying over a spilt milk. That's what you're crying about, people, right? Like mm-hmm. those messages mm-hmm. were, were very prevalent um, for parenting of that time. So I think yeah. I, I love that you you say that. I think we should root ourselves in a definition here and an understanding of what narcissism looks like, what it feels like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe even what those warning signs might be in any relationship. 
Yeah. So when you have a narcissistic parent, obviously it's a little bit different. What I find with narcissistic parents is that the children, the adult children, they don't really identify this until later. While they're in it, they don't have that objectivity at all. They don't know it's different. They just know it feels bad, but they think that's the norm. When you're in an intimate relationship, the pattern and the, I like to say the playbook, because you know one of the things that people are always so, and, and still to this day, I am too, are so kind of shocked by is for such nuanced behavior and such subtle behavior, it's so identical to each other across the board. So, you know, in intimate relationships, there's a distinct playbook and knowing it ahead of time, obviously is helpful. So, and I love that you said, what does it feel like? And what does it look like? Cause I love doing it that way instead of the clinical definition, because it's neither here nor there with that. People don't really understand that. And I don't think that's the best way to explain it. So I love that you said that. And for me as well in my own life, in my own relationships, I don't walk around going through a diagnostic criteria of, hang on, this person really lacks empathy for me. And this person really has this grandiose sense of self and all of it, right? Like it's, we don't live in diagnostic. Or they're missing one criteria. So therefore they're not a narcissist. So I shouldn't respond this way. It's silly. So even Um, as clinicians, we don't walk around assessing relationships in this way. So I think really that that comes back to the like, what's that felt sense? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So in the beginning, it's going to feel really good. You are going to feel like you hit the lottery and there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's going to feel, it's not just a connection because we all had, you know, dated people where we felt a strong connection in the beginning. That's not what I'm talking about. It's going to feel like an absolute tidal weight. It's going to feel like you just got knocked off your feet in this Disney, which is a whole other conversation, Disney romance. Um, where you cannot believe that you have gotten this lucky, this person. And if you hear from them at any point, you are my soulmate. I give you permission to run. Date one, two, three, four. Should not even be in the vocabulary for, you know, as wonderful as you may be. (laughs) On what are they basing the fact that you're their soulmate? They don't know anything about you. Mm. And you may be the best thing ever, but truthfully, what are they basing that off of? Nothing. And that's important to keep in mind is that that connection you have, if it is a narcissist, is going to feel magical, okay? So you're going to go on a date and it's going to be all consuming and they're going to call you all the time. They're going to send flowers to where you work. They're going to send flowers home. They're going to, you know, talk nonstop and you're going to think you have this deep connection and you talk for hours, you have this like, you feel like you've known them from another life and they'll be telling you that you have this language. I feel like we just connect like no one else and and it'll be great. And the sex is going to be amazing and everything's just going to be so heightened. And can that happen in friendships yeah. as well? That can be, that can absolutely up, yes, right? So absolutely. Let's, let's even for people listening, keep this template on for your friendships as well, because I think that's important as well. Sorry, go ahead. But Ab- yes, the no, sex, the you're, sex you're feels absolutely amazing. right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Friendships. Absolutely. Same thing comes on really strong. You feel like you're connected to this person forever. And what starts to happen is the similarities that you feel that you have with them are manufactured. Meaning you could be talking about to a friend even, or, or, you know, a partner, intimate partner about your upbringing. Right. And let's say you said, you know, my dad was an alcoholic or, you know, my mom was absent a lot. And I just felt neglected, whatever, whatever your scenario is, 
the other person, oh my, so, so do I, I totally understand what you're going through. And they're going to try to match you where you're at in terms of emotions and, and stories. And they're going to act as if they understand you better than you know yourself. And, okay, and it's going to feel really good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry for the listeners because I'm no. I'm gonna like I'm gonna poke in here because you and I are both clinicians and this is really fun. Yeah, go for so, it. So, so for our listeners, I'm sorry I'm going to interrupt Dr. Jamie a lot today, but I want to do it because it's going to be for a deepening of our understanding. Because I think sometimes, and I, I I'm always learning too, but I think sometimes what we what we when we hear that, we think, oh, they're intentionally doing this to me. Can you tell me about that? Is this like oh? There's Dr. Jamie. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to consciously match her and tell her, oh, me too. Oh, yes, me too. And I can't wait to get her under my wing. Like, is that is that what it sounds like in so, the conscious uh, level of? So, yes, they know what they're doing. Yes. But in the beginning of the relationship, what they also do not necessarily in their conscious awareness, is they idealize the person in the relationship so much. It's the perfect person. It's the perfect relationship. And as soon as the other person blinks wrong, they're terrible, horrible, and it's, it's, they're, they're the worst things ever. So they have these views in the beginning of relationships that this person is amazing. So they believe in the beginning that you are perfect and they love you and they've never felt this way before. Okay. But in that process, okay, of speaking to them and kind of tailoring their life experiences to match yours, they are doing it to form a connection. Yes, no question. But at the same time, they're also doing it because they are deliberately trying to get you to feel comfortable and vulnerable with them mm. so that they can suck you in and then store this information away for use at a later date to use as manipulative information. Right. So they are information gathering and that part is on purpose because mm. they're asking very, you know, very involved, very um, personal questions that you wouldn't necessarily answer on a first, second, third date. Right. It would be uncomfortable. So, you know, the idealized version that they, that they view of you, um, they really do believe that you are perfect. Is it fair to say then that the unconscious piece then for them is that mm -hmm. deep, deep rooted shame and vulnerability? Yes. Yes. yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And when they set these expectations so high, nobody's going to ever reach them. And that's part of that mental illness is, is that nobody's going to ever be good enough, right? Or they're going to cut you out before you can hurt them, you know, whatever the case may be. But it is, narcissism is is very much rooted in this deep, deep, deep shame, throw guilt in there. Or at the same time, it also could be that, you know, there were never any consequences for their actions. So they really do believe that they are entitled to treat mm. people the way they do. They are entitled to know everything about you. That's, oh, that's their, they're, they're entitled to that. Yeah. Right. There's a sense of entitlement to knowing all of these things about you. And use them wow. however they want. And if you get hurt, because you will, it's your fault. It's not theirs. It's your fault if that bothers you. It's your fault if that upsets you. So then if that's you don't that like it, leave. There, right? So then yeah. that's, that's yeah. that kind of flag there or the internal feeling, which is the somehow you're doubting and thinking this is all my fault all the time. 
that there mm-hmm. must be something defective about me. I'm- Correct. Yeah. And that's what they put on you. You know, what they put on you is how they really kind of feel about themselves. So if they're constantly making you feel you're deficient, you're defective, there's this shame and there's this guilt. Well, it's easier for them to control if they put those emotions on other people. They can control that. It's a whole different ballgame to have to, as we know, you know, to control your own emotions and to learn how to sit with all that discomfort Mm. and just be present with it. They can't do that. They won't do that. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. What is the difference between a partner who is chronically defensive, who mm-hmm. is defensive, not out of a narcissistic flavoring, but out of more of a sense of my parents were defensive with me. I don't know what it mm-hmm. looks like to communicate in a healthy way. I have so much deep-rooted shame in here. What's the difference between that partner and then a partner who is gaslighting? This is the question that I love that question. Always coming up. Yes. So people that are not narcissists can absolutely gaslight as well. Gaslighting is not specific, right, to just narcissistic abuse. However, right. this is the difference. And I love this question. So when you have two people that on the surface, the behaviors look very similar, right? The defensiveness, the gaslighting, like you said, the constant it's arguing. It's the deflection, right? I like the word yes. of like the defensive deflection dismissing. Yes. Those three Ds yes. can really show up in the partner who is in that more withdrawn, defended position in a negative Absolutely. Cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So what you'll find is that people who have unhealthy patterns from childhood, right? Because we model what we see, or we do the total opposite, right? Of what we see. Rarely is this, there's this middle, there's not really this middle ground as a child, right? As children, we develop strategies basically to help us survive, get through life. And either we model what we see, or we kind of do the opposite as kind of a compensatory strategy to, to, to get through. So people that have patterns that were modeled after their upbringing and their caregivers, engage in those behaviors because that's what they know. Mm. A lot of times people don't realize that there are other options. And so the way I describe it is like a buffet, right? So you grow up and all you've ever known are eggs. 
you are totally unaware that those eggs are on a buffet with like a million other breakfast foods. And so when you're changing patterns of behavior that have been locked in forever, a non-narcissist will, as uncomfortable as it may be, be able to, and, and over time willing, not immediately, because it's scary to give up our patterns, even if they're unhealthy, will be able to acknowledge that there's other ways to respond to a situation. They'll acknowledge that their patterns are, and this is the key thing, hurting other people and they don't want to do that. They may never change because it's hard to change, but they don't want to hurt other people and they feel extreme guilt. They're angry at themselves. They don't want other people to hurt. They're able to see things from the alternative perspective of the people that they're engaging with. With a narcissist, not only will they not change those patterns, they're unwilling to change those patterns. And there is no concern or care or empathy that they're hurting people that they quote love. Mm -hmm. If that other person or that family member is devastated or that friend is devastated, well, that's their decision to be devastated. If you don't like it, leave. If you don't like it, then we don't have to be friends anymore, right? There's the door. That's what you're going to get from a narcissist. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I always tell people when somebody in the dynamic is changing, is in the process of changing behaviors. And I'll even, I ask them for permission in therapy sessions to do this with them. You know, I'll say, you're doing it again, right? Or, oh, there it is again, or however we want to say it. And they'll be able to stop and pause and say, oh yeah, okay. And they'll switch gears. A narcissist is never going to do that. Right. They stay on that one track. They will not see. So you mentioned something really important there, the ability to rotate the room, to do self-other and differentiation. And mm -hmm. that is an individual who enters into defensiveness, who maybe deflects at times and dismisses what's happening for you, not out of that malicious intent. I mean, maybe Correct. in a way to not feel the shame that they're feeling, because I mean, that's just human Correct. nature. We don't want to sit in shame. But that's the right. piece here, as you're saying, is the narcissist struggles to rotate the room and says things like, well, if you don't like it, then leave. If Correct. this doesn't work for you, we'll stop being friends. Well, I'm just going to shut you out then because you're the problem. Yes. You I, have to look at the underlying function. That's what I always say. It's not the surface level what they're saying. It's the underlying function of why they're saying what they're saying at that given moment. So people oftentimes understandably so get caught up in the words, right? That people say, but you have to look at the function, the behavior, the why. Why are they doing this right now? So here's a perfect example. Let's say that graduation day, you're graduating, you just spent years getting your master's, you're so proud of yourself, like you've been wanting to do this forever. And it's been a long road. And this is like your day, a non narcissist, right? Let's say that they for whatever reason, feel like they never got to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And like, they don't feel they're at where they want to be. And here you are getting your degree. And they're, they're envious, they're maybe even jealous. And so they do something like, you know, start with you for no reason because they can't find their keys. And so they're screaming and yelling and it's your fault, you know, maybe not in that moment because they're heated, but the function behind that, the why is because they don't like what they've done in their life. And, and they, they're, they're mad at themselves for not pursuing a degree and like, you know, that kind of thing. It's not so much about you. It's more about they're mad at themselves. Right. Whereas with a narcissist, the narcissist is going to ruin that day start a fight with you because it's your day and 
they don't like that you're getting attention. They want to be the focal point. They want to be the focus of everybody's emotions. They want to drain the room. So what better way to do that than to control your emotions, start with you so that you're not even happy about your day. You're not able to enjoy it. And they are the proud owner of taking that from you. That's the difference in the function. One is not malicious. One is. They both can have the same result. But I would tell people to handle the non-narcissist in a very different way in that situation than the narcissist. Let's do that here. Tell me how to handle the non-narcissist. Tell me how to do the other one. So with a non-narcissist, when they kind of start, you know, the fights and stuff like that, I would actually be more inclined to sit down and have a conversation with them saying like, you seem really frustrated. Are you okay? What can I do? Um, I know this may be a hard hard day on you, but I believe in you and, and we can, you know, something where they see that you are aligned with them. You understand their emotions, you respect their emotions, and you're giving them space to sit with their emotions and the two of you can do it together or, or not but Mm. you're giving them space. So right there, there's another piece too, is that even though the day is about you, right? So it's our graduation day, big special day. (laughs) That idea of differentiation means I am having a special day and I'm very excited about it. And I can make space that that's not the same day as yours. And you can make space that this is a special day for me, right? There's this and back and forth of seeing both sides. We don't have Mm -hmm. to be the same. And I think that's important in a healthy relationship to acknowledge that because it's my day, I'm not going to ask you to have no triggers, to never get upset, to not feel overwhelmed, to not be upset that you can't find something that's important to you. But to acknowledge that that's there. Right. Because that that's that healthy separation. I can experience Mm -hmm. the world differently than you. We don't have Mm -hmm. to be exactly the same and merged into this. We can have two different experiences and our end goal is to focus on you and your special day. You know, here's the thing, you know, let's, I mean, there's certain times where, you know, even with my husband will be, you know, a situation and he'll know that it bothers me or upsets me or something, but we're doing it anyway, because we have to. And there's an awareness that I feel the way I feel. And I can also be present because it's his thing, or he can be present because it's my thing. And it doesn't mean I need to be on board. It doesn't mean he needs to be on board, but we have to be present in that moment with whatever comes up for us. A narcissist is not going to even entertain that dialogue. They're going to ruin your day. And when you say something like, why are you doing this? Blah, 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 that's what they want. They want that fuel. So the way I would handle that is I would tell the person ahead of time, okay, this is your day you know, without fail, that they are going to do something to ruin this moment for you. Okay. So be prepared for that to happen because it will, if it doesn't great, but it's going to. And so let's especially when it's family and you don't get to choose that is showing up, right? Exactly. You know, without fail that, you know, if your mom always does X, Y, and Z on a normal day, why on earth would they pick this day of all times not to do it if they're a narcissist this is where they shine right this, this is this is the painful part this oh, it's is horrible. the painful it's part horrible. of being human because it's we horrible. hope we sit we, we sink into this hope and desire yep. this is yep. my special day this will be the day that mom is going that 
you know, dad, or, you know, they're going to see me. They're finally going to do it. Right. And then Mm -hmm. people are predictable. They are predictable and they do the same thing they have done Mm -hmm. every single time. Every time. At the birthday, at the wedding, at the baby, at the, yeah. Any, any with parents. See, I have to tell you that in the years that I have been doing this, I find the adult children for different reasons. They're both, they're both extremely upsetting, but the adult children with a narcissistic parent, when that child figures out what the situation is, when they put a label on it and they're able to identify it, that is probably one of the most upsetting parts of my job. It's that when they lose the hope, that it's going to be any different. It's like, it, it just it physically hurts me because for so long they carry that hope. But at the same time, it's that hope that is keeping them stuck. And there's a lot of empowerment that comes out when that hope is dropped because now it's now you can predict and now you can have control over this and now you can see it for what it is. And there's a mourning that has to take place when you drop that hope that you will not have that relationship with them that you wanted, that you deserved, that you always desired. You're not going to have it. And there's a mourning that has to take place. Just like in romantic relationships, there's a mourning that takes place when I have that person say to me, wait a minute. So the last... 20 years meant nothing because as soon as this was over, they're now they're engaged three months later and they dropped everybody as if it didn't exist. It's horrible. It's really traumatizing and it's horrible. And so, okay. So for people listening in this position, I want you to know that I know it feels deeply personal and it's, it's not about you at all. And that is part of the grief work is being sad and angry and hurt that Mm -hmm. this is not the person that you wanted, that the, that you needed. And right. then also to really step into that depersonalization. It is not because yeah. of anything you did. It's not your way of being. This is not about you at all. And, that's and they're so not going to be any different with anyone else. No, it's going to be the same thing. And sometimes, you know, not to the other persons, you know, it's bad for the other person, but for that, it's uh, when they see that that pattern's repeated with other people, sometimes that actually helps the healing because mm-hmm. they realize then that it really had nothing to do with, with them. But that I think is the, one of the hardest parts of that. Um, so I prep them. I tell them, okay, this is what usually happens. This is what's going to happen. And that's how they handle it. They give them nothing. They give them that emotional neutrality. There's no eye rolling. There's no cursing. There's just, we, we do come up with one liners that we can give if that's being said. And we practice that. So they feel empowered going into this and that they can maintain that, you know, it's, it's their day and they're going to keep it that way. Mm. So then I think what you're saying is we're not going to enter into arguing. We're not going to no. enter into why would you act this way? Don't you think about me? We're not going into that because trying to rationalize and argue and get them to see your experience is not going to move you forward. And also in the end, you end up feeling worse. Correct. You'll never win at that game if you try to play it their way. And it's not even the arguing. They're not even hearing what you're saying. They just love that by arguing with them, they've already removed you from the moment of your day. Ooh, 
that feels hard to hear. They want to, they want to know that they have access to your thoughts and your emotions, whatever that looks like. So if you kind of give them that neutral stance, Mm -hmm. they get nothing from you or they don't even care the words coming out of your mouth. They just know that you're focused on them rather than being present in your moment. What do those boundaries sound like? So if you know, let's say that, um, Uncle Fred always makes a comment about how much food you have on your plate. Like, oh, you're going to eat that? I don't know if you should eat that, right? Or makes comments about your weight. Like, oh, are you pregnant? You know, what, whatever it is that they do, right? We'll use a weight example. It would be something as simple as, yep, I'm really hungry tonight. That's it. And move on. And move on. And if they keep at it, you literally repeat the same thing. Yep, hungry starving. Because as long as you continue with that same boundary, because boundaries, as you know, it's about consistency. If you Mm. keep changing the boundary, you actually create more of the behavior you don't want. So if one second you say, I'm really hungry, and they keep at it, and you just get so annoyed, you're like, oh my God, I said I'm hungry. Can you shut up? You just gave them what they needed. So it's- You're lighting the flame, right? Like you're giving oxygen to the- Mm -hmm. Yes. You want to starve them. The, the way you deal is you starve the narcissist. So you want to just give the same line over and over and over. If you need to go to the bathroom to like breathe and, and just kind of ground yourself, that's great. Say you left something in your car, but I would rather that than storming out or arguing because it doesn't involve them. It involves you regrounding yourself, being present with yourself. Mm. This is a lot of hard work. I'm thinking of even where we started in the sense that it's like drips one day and then before you know it, the house is flooded or it's a tidal wave in that sense. And so I think for people to remember that if you are starting to kind of have moments of awakening around this of somebody Mm -hmm. in your life, um, of course, you know, we don't want to go around misusing the word and then labeling everybody as, you know... (laughs) Well, you're just being a narcissist. That, that's exactly. Not we don't want to no. overuse the word. Correct. But, you know, I think there's a lot of permission and compassion in here that, again, let's not do the self-blame. Let's do the, no, and, been in this pattern for a long time. And the other thing too, I tell people is, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're a narcissist or not. If you're uncomfortable in the situation and it doesn't feel good to you, then that's something to pay attention to. Mm. You don't, it's almost like, I think sometimes people feel that, They have to know with 100% certainty if the person they're dealing with is a narcissist, because if they're not, then they're going to just continue what they're doing and they should have to deal with it. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas if it's like they're a narcissist, okay, now I have permission to set boundaries. Now you don't need that. You feel uncomfortable. You set whatever boundaries you want. Also, and I also like to say this because I don't think we talk about this enough. When you start to set boundaries, let's use the dinner example. And you keep giving Uncle Fred the same response over and over again. Uncle Fred does not like to sit with themselves, right? That's why they do all this so that they can focus on your stuff. And you're the one that's freaking out and looking crazy and all that stuff. So when you don't give them anything, now they're sitting here. It's so uncomfortable for them. So what happens is now they're going to do this to Aunt Sue. Now Aunt Sue is going to get this. So one of the things that happens is the dynamics in the family system start to shift because now you've thrown the entire system off balance 
because there's a dance to every single family dynamic. And if the dance has been in place forever, but if one element shifts and changes, so you go left, they go right, you go up, they go down. But now when they go up, you also go up. You throw the whole system off balance. And what ends up happening is you'll start to see how your tiny little saying no or saying I'm hungry, how much power that has because you change the entire system. And it's pretty, I mean, I can say this because this is what we do. I'm like, it's pretty cool to watch, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very empowering. So when you think that that little change won't do anything, it's going to do a lot more than you think. Mm, I love that. I love acknowledging that there's something that you can do to be able to address this something. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a hard shift. And it's small, but it is something that could change the whole thing. Okay, so I'm shifting my mind from family dynamic to that romantic piece because Mm -hmm. then I know what people say. I want to go to couples therapy. We should go to therapy and try to make this work. So when is couples therapy helpful and when is it contraindicated, meaning we should not be doing couples therapy? So if the example we gave with the patterns, the unhealthy patterns where you're just kind of in this dance that you've known forever and you didn't even know any other way to be and you don't want to hurt somebody. And you, that is when couples therapy, I think is extremely effective mm-hmm. because then it's a safe place to talk about the patterns, to give examples. It's a good way to kind of identify those patterns and practice different responses. When you're dealing with somebody that is a narcissist, a true narcissist, the only benefit of going to couples therapy would be and this is saying if you start out in couples therapy, not if someone's already seeing me and I would suggest it or not, but you start out in couples therapy, the only benefit would be hopefully, but unfortunately this doesn't happen a lot. The only benefit would be if the therapist acknowledges that that partner is a narcissist and gives that new information to the partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the only benefit. Other than that, and then when that happens, you can make sure that that narcissist is never going back. And they're going to say that, you know, Jamie had no idea what she was talking about. She's horrible. I want a new therapist. She sided with you. She doesn't like me. And they're going to search for a therapist until they find somebody that buys into their stuff. And so usually what happens in couples therapy with a narcissist, and this is why I do not recommend it. I do recommend your own therapy, but The only way that narcissist will continue to go to therapy is if they are able to gaslight, charm, manipulate the sessions so the therapist sides with them. And then what you end up having is a space where the abused partner yet again feels like they're going crazy, blaming themselves. It must be them because look how their spouse is acting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or they're scared to death to voice their opinion because they need to still go home with this person. Yes, of course. And that Mm -hmm. is why it's so important that if you are seeking couples therapy, please make sure that that individual is trained in systems and being able to recognize patterns in relationships because we want someone trained to be able to see this, right? We don't want someone taking something for face value. And when you enter into therapy, here's what I know as a couples therapist. It is never one person's fault. I will never sit in someone who is going to blame the other person. I don't allow that for my sessions. And I say that so clearly for the people who are listening, who happen to have a male partner who is scared to come into couples therapy because they have felt blamed for so long from their partner that 
Now I'm going to sit in front of another woman and she's going to do the same thing to me. That's right. Absolutely not. I stop that and it's tracks, right? So we cannot have that happen in couples therapy. It's not safe. It won't progress. Not safe. And also what, what ends up happening is, listen, let's say your partner is not a narcissist and the therapist is suggesting structured date nights or how to kind of regain intimacy. You're with a narcissist. And I've had this happen to so many people that have gone to couples therapy and it's so heartbreaking because they go in and they're being told you need to schedule date night. It looks like they're really trying and you're not willing to make changes. They're asking for date night and you know that on your date nights, it's a disaster. That's Mm -hmm. the last thing you want, you know, or trying to tell you that you need to, you know, reignite this intimacy, but you know that sex in your relationship is uses such a power strong and it's, it's, it's abusive and that's not what you want. Um, And so, no, it's not safe. And so if you have a a therapist who doesn't recognize those patterns and sees those subtleties can be really, really damaging for the, for the partner of the narcissist. And that's usually what happens. Are there certain people who end up staying with a narcissist or um, oh, yeah. have a hard time making changes? And what, what do those patterns look like? And, and when I say certain people, yeah. I mean like, you know, those patterns or characteristics that we're working through. Yeah. So even for the non-narcissistic partner. So I, I can tell you that many, many, many stay because they are pet one, they're scared to death to leave. They have been financially abused for years. They have no earning potential, or if they do, the money's, God knows where the money goes. They have no financial um, knowledge of what they have, what assets they have, where their money is. So they they can't leave for that. And that's on purpose to keep them stuck. Um, They feel horrible about themselves. They don't even know who they are. They have isolated over time their friends and family because that's what happens and they or it's another point of contention exactly and they've hidden the abuse for years they don't want to tell anybody they're embarrassed they really have no financial support no social support Mm. um it's extremely hard to leave and setting boundaries with the narcissist can be dangerous of course also when you leave particularly for women when you leave an abusive partner that period of time is the most dangerous time for physical violence for violence towards children. So it, it is a really delicate situation. And you know that's why when people say, well, why didn't they leave? These are all the reasons why. What mm-hmm. I will say is that there is a misconception that people who end up with narcissistic partners are weak, have no backbone. And the truth is, it's actually the opposite. Narcissists are routinely drawn towards partners who are strong and confident and, and successful and, you know, have a lot of friends and, and just are like kind of have a lot to offer. And the reason for that is there's two reasons. One, they want to share that limelight with them. It makes them look good to have this person on their arm. And two, and this is the part that's really difficult. They're higher up to be knocked down. So that fall is what that narcissist craves and they want to be responsible for their demise. And so by the time they get knocked down systematically, now we see a person with a narcissist who has low self-esteem, has no sense of self, uh, is insecure and depressed and anxious, not able to leave, doesn't even recognize who they are anymore. And so there's, there's this misconception that they're weak and it's the result of abuse. 
that's not, you know, that sense of self has been challenged and changed so much. So um, that's also why it's so difficult to leave. So the patterns, as you were saying, that you see in the relationship of narcissists depends where in the cycle of abuse they are at any given point. But it's it's really based out of fear. It's based out of not being able to trust their own judgment. So they now depend on this other person to define their reality. And that is scary. So scary. And if you are thinking for our listeners, if you know anyone in this situation, I think one of the worst things that we can do is to hold up that mirror and say, look, you're in a narcissistic relationship. You need to get out because it's incredibly threatening. But instead, as a friend, to support our friends and to offer life outside of that relationship. Let's go and have mm -hmm. fun. Let me listen mm -hmm. to your challenges without me telling you that it's silly or you just need to leave. Let me show you what it means to be in a safe, secure relationship where I listen yes. to your thoughts and feelings and I lift you up and and I'm your supporter, right? That's yes. a friendship because we know yes. that when you say to someone, you need to leave that relationship, we lock in even more. You'll you'll push them away. And mm. and listen, it, it, we do it out of love, right? None of us of are saying you need to leave because, you know, with any type of malicious intent, we don't know what to say. Um, and oftentimes people don't know what to say. So I've had parents say, you know, my daughter or my son is in this relationship with a very abusive narcissistic partner. What do I do? They won't listen to me. And I always tell them at some point, they're going to need you. You have to do everything you possibly can to stay connected to them. Hmm. Exactly like you were saying, I'm here if you need me. I'm never going to judge you. I want this to be a safe space for you because eventually they will need somebody to go to. And it's, it's, right. you want to make sure you, you don't cut that off. That open support is so important. Dr. Jamie, I am so grateful for our conversation today. Oh, there is so you. much depth in here and I know we could keep going, but if yeah. people are looking for more, if they want to learn with you, work with you, where can they find you? Yes. So um, I post a lot of this on Instagram, Dr. Z Psychologist, my website, drjamiezuckerman.com. I work with people on strategies on how to navigate this um, and how to identify patterns and more importantly, give people hope that they're there absolutely is another side to this and that you will be okay. You really will. So yes, you can find me there. Um, and then my books, you had said, Find Your Calm and Find Good Habits are wherever you get your books. Thank you so much, Dr. Jamie, for being a light in such a difficult conversation. I'm so grateful that we had this today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on today's episode with Dr. Jamie. This episode, I think, is such an important piece because so many people misuse the word narcissism or narcissistic. We misuse the word gaslighting. And I just think there's such a difference when it comes to looking within ourselves and also in our relationships around these patterns of communication, around what's keeping us stuck and ultimately what is going to help us live a meaningful life. So I'm grateful that you chose to join me for today's episode. I would be so appreciative if you could like, click those five stars, leave some words, leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. And did you know, I have my dear Dr. Tracy, you can ask me your questions to be answered here on the podcast. This is one of my favorite things to do here. And you can do that at my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. 
And if you haven't yet, and you are looking for something to be different in your relationship, please check out my newest resources. I have 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. It's a free guide. And I'm also offering you my webinar that allows you to learn how to enter into conversations after you and your partner get into a fight or disagreement. And you can find that at drtracyd.com forward slash repair, sign up and join me in that session. You're going to take away so many helpful tools for the next time you and your partner get stuck in one of those sticky moments because we all have them. All right. Until next time, take good care of you and I will see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.